Campus Farm Calls, where we take course owners along with us to discuss important topics on equine health and care with industry experts. Today, we're talking to Dr. Toby Penn Woodcock about tick-borne diseases in horses. Equus Farm Calls is brought to you in 2022 by Farm, the makers of MaxFlex XR Extended Release Joint Supplement. Your horse's joints work around the clock. Shouldn't your joint supplement do the same? MaxFlex XR Extended Release Joint Formula keeps glucosamine in the system a full 24 hours. Extended release technology slowly releases glucosamine, providing a constant supply to the joints. That's 24 times longer than other joint supplements. A win for you and your horse. Provide support for hardworking joints with MaxFlex XR Extended Release Joint Formula. One daily dose provides 24-hour joint care to help keep your horse in motion. I'm Kim Brown, group publisher of the Equine Health Network. Dr. Penn Woodcock is a DVM and an internal medicine specialist in large animals. She's an assistant clinical professor in the Department of Population Medical and Diagnostic Sciences at Cornell University's College of Veterinary Medicine. She received her DVM from the University of Wisconsin and did her internal medicine residency at Cornell. Thank you, Dr. Penn Woodcock, for joining us today on Equus Farm Calls to talk about tick-borne diseases in horses. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, let's just start right in. So what are the major diseases that horse owners might hear about that ticks carry to their horses? There are probably three major categories that horse owners should bear in mind in the United States. Um, We have Lyme disease. Um, That's caused by an organism called Borrelia burgdorferi. And then we have another type of bacteria called Anaplasma phagocytophilum. It's kind of a mouthful. That's an organism that ticks can transmit to our horses. And then finally, we have a group of organisms called pyroplasms um, that cause a disease called pyroplasmosis. And there are two types. One is filaria and the other is babesia. Wow, that, that, those all sound scary to me. So if I'm a horse owner and I find ticks on my horse, maybe what should I be looking for as clinical signs just in case they did bring a disease to my horse? Yeah, good question. So horse owners are advocates for their horses and usually that first line um, of sort of defense and protection. Uh, so to start off, pyroplasmosis is um, something that, is bordering us coming up from Mexico um, or uh, exists in other parts of the world and we want to prevent it from coming into the United States through imported horses. So there's a lot of surveillance that takes place um, before horses from Mexico or other parts of the world come to the United States uh, to prevent pyroplasmosis from entering our horse populations. Um, so that one, horse owners can kind of like breathe, breathe a sigh of relief. That's one that's a little bit lower on our radar. And maybe depending on where you live, if you live in Texas, um, you may want to become more knowledgeable about. But for the rest of the com- country, um, the it's Lyme disease and anaplasma that, you know, we want to watch for. Um, so first of all, ticks um, can, you know, vary in size. Some of them are really hard to find on your horse. Um, They're so tiny, those little nymph um, life stages. Um, So you can do your best to groom your horse well and find them and prevent them from attaching. Um, But oftentimes, 
the tick has already bitten and then we kind of need to watch for other clinical signs or we may not realize a tick has bitten our horse. So just knowing the clinical signs are important. Um, Anaplasma has some pretty classic clinical signs. Um, it likes to present sort of the same way. Typically, we see horses that develop fever. They stop eating normally. Their appetite declines. Um, they are lethargic, um, so not their normal energy level, not maybe as social or interactive as they normally are. Um, and then in addition to fever, we can see um, stocking up. So we veterinarians call that edema, um, but it is what I think a lot of horse owners recognize as when the horse kind of gets filling in the lower limbs. Um, a lot of people refer to that as stocking up. But in, in addition to that sort of swelling in the lower limbs, and often it's all four limbs that are affected, we can also see um, sheath swelling or even an area of sort of, you know, fluid that can accumulate under the skin, on under the abdomen, kind of like just behind where the girth goes, extending to just in front of the sheath. Um, we call that like a plaque of edema. Um, and this edema um, or stocking up, um, it's usually cool to the touch, so not hot, typically not necessarily painful. And when you push on it gently with your finger, it kind of indents, leaves an indentation behind. Some horses' anaplasma will also get jaundiced. So you'll notice that their gums can look a little bit um, orange or yellow in color or the whites of their eyes, the sclera. Um, you might see this kind of jaundiced color there. Of course, that clinical sign can also be indicative of, of other diseases as can fever and edema. So we're, it's really you're looking for multiple clinical signs together, making that perfect constellation to say, ah, this could be um, anaplasma. And finally, anaplasma can even cause some neurologic signs, which might, your horse may, might look unbalanced. Um, we call that ataxic, um, or they could have some um, kind of tremors, maybe some neurologic signs could be part of this constellation. So just to repeat, anaplasma causes fever, it causes that stocking up or um, hitting edema, a little bit of jaundice, and sometimes neurologic signs. Um, those are some signs to work, look for with that one. Lyme disease can cause a, a variety of clinical signs. Um, and for those of you who are familiar to the clinical signs that occur in people, um, our horses uh, don't present that differently. Um, so we can see lameness. Uh, we can see um, shifting leg lameness. So one day the horse seems lame on one limb. Um, a few days later, it seems like, oh, now he's lame on the other leg. So shifting leg lameness, back pain, um, loss of muscle, so muscle atrophy, um, change in personality, uh, and skin sensitivity when grooming, um, which veterinarians might refer to that as hyperesthesia, can occur secondary to Lyme. And there are a few um, well-described presentations of Lyme disease in our horses um, that are documented a bit better from a cause and effect perspective. Um, so those include 
um, something called pseudolymphoma, which sounds scary, um, but it's basically a swelling under the skin at the site of the tick bite. So sometimes the tick is already gone and the owner just notices uh, like a firm swelling um, at the site or mass where the tick was previously. So that's called pseudolymphoma. Horses can also develop a condition called uveitis or moon blindness um, that is secondary to Lyme disease. And then the third well-recognized condition is a big word, neuroborreliosis. So Lyme disease can cause neurologic signs in horses as well. So we have the more vague symptoms that I described initially, the change in attitude, back pain, um, skin sensitivity, shifting leg lameness that we think are associated with Lyme, and then we have these other three um, presentations of pseudolymphoma, uveitis, and neuroborreliosis. Wow. Okay. Well, that, that is a whole list, and that's something I think that it's good for horse owners to think about especially if they live in an area where horses get ticks. I know in our area, we constantly are finding ticks. And as you mentioned, there's the nymph sizes. Sometimes you can't find it all. You never see them. Right, exactly. So how do veterinarians, if, if you're a horse owner and you think, I found ticks on my horse, or a horse has maybe some of these clinical signs that you mentioned, what will veterinarians do to diagnose these diseases? Yeah, well, thankfully, Anaplasma phagocytophilum um, is an organism that we have some nice diagnostics for. Um, your veterinarian might collect a blood sample and look at it under the microscope. And you can actually sometimes see this little organism inside of certain types of white blood cells under the microscope. So we call that a little morula, and you can see it inside of types of white blood cells called neutrophils and sometimes eosinophils. Um, so your veterinarian might be able to go back to the clinic, make a blood smear, and make a quick diagnosis by looking under the microscope. We can't always find the organism on the blood smear, and for that reason, we offer another type of test, which is a, a molecular test, where we're looking for the DNA of that little organism in the blood sample. So it doesn't matter if the organism is still alive or dead. If it's in the blood sample, we can run this test called a PCR, polymerase chain reaction, looking for the DNA of the organism in the horse's blood. Um, so that requires the vet to send this, that blood sample off to a diagnostic laboratory where they have the specialized equipment to run that test. Uh, so those are two of the ways to diagnose anaplasma. Um, and a, we even have a third option, uh, which is to look for antibodies. That type of test is um, not as helpful, but we, we sometimes fall back on it sometimes um, and can be helpful in a horse that's already been treated and you're kind of trying to figure out after the fact um, if the horse was exposed. Um, okay. Lyme disease is a little bit more tricky to nail a diagnosis on. And I can certainly get into that if you'd like me to. Well, just maybe just tell us a little bit about what the veterinarian's trying to face. Cause you know, sometimes horse owners think their veterinarians just have the answers for everything. You can run a test and find this out, can't you doc? Right, I know. Ugh, so Lyme can be um, frustrating for owners and for the veterinarian when trying to, to diagnose. The most important thing I think to remember going into a diagnostic workup for Lyme disease 
is that we call it a diagnosis of exclusion. So because Lyme can masquerade as a lot of other types of conditions, it's important to rule out other common conditions that might have clinical signs that match that of Lyme disease um, to help us make our diagnosis. So that's the first step. So, you know, that shifting leg lameness, well, that could be arthritis um, or, um, you know, some other type of injury. Uh, so doing a lameness workup, making sure that it's not a more straightforward, you know, like I said, arthritis or soft tissue injury is important to rule that out. Um, and then once, once the veterinarian has said, I've ruled out, you know, other common causes of these clinical signs, um, then the main go-to test for looking for exposure to the Borrelia organism that causes Lyme disease is an antibody test. Um, and it's called a Lyme multiplex. Um, that test is, is only run at the Cornell Animal Health Diagnostic Lab. Um, there are some other tests out there to try to work up Lyme, but the multiplex is um, often the test that vets are turning to these days. Um, and that test, as I said, it tells us about exposure. So if your horse lives in an area that's loaded with ticks, where you know you have lots of ticks, particularly the Ixodes tick um, that carries Lyme, um, then it's possible they've been exposed. And we have to figure out, has this horse just been exposed or are its clinical signs actually secondary to this organism? So this multiplex um, test, this Lyme multiplex looks at different kinds of antibodies um, that the horse's body will make in response to exposure. Um, and we try to use that to decipher, was this horse recently exposed or has, was it exposed a long time ago um, to help us answer that question. So we try to put that, that information together with the horse's clinical signs and the fact that we've ruled out um, other common um, causes of those clinical signs. And maybe the vet decides, okay, I feel confident enough that we should try to treat this animal. Let's talk a little bit about treatments. So what, what would the vet do? Let's, while we're talking about Lyme, let's talk, start with it. What would the vet do to treat Lyme disease? Okay, so we have a, a particular class of antibiotics called tetracyclines that we use typically to treat Lyme disease in horses. Um, there are some other antibiotics that might be used as well um, that are not quite as mainstream. Um, so I'm just going to talk about the most common that, that an owner might hear their vet um, recommending. So the tetracyclines, we have um, a form of that antibiotic that's given in the horse's vein. That's called oxytetracycline. Um, and then we have some other tetracyclines that the horse can take by mouth. Um, and usually a long course of treatment is, is recommended for Lyme disease. Typically, four to eight weeks of treatment is recommended. So um, sometimes a horse will be started on treatment um, in the vein that we call that intravenous treatment with oxytetracycline for a period of time and then transitioned onto an oral tetracycline to carry out that long course. How do ticks transfer these diseases to horses? I mean, where do they come from? 
that the ticks are getting them to transfer? Yeah, so um, it's our, our friendly wildlife that um, act as reservoirs for both anaplasma, phagocytophilum, and um, Borrelia burgdorferi, the causative agent of Lyme disease. Uh, so the life cycle starts off with, uh, you know, uh, the ticks lay eggs, and those eggs develop into um, larvae and then, you know, nymph stages. And so those stages have to take a blood meal or take a feeding, um, you know, to get energy. And those feedings um, are taken from different wildlife, but mainly we kind of target the white-footed mouse and the white-tailed deer that are sort of our reservoirs. As the ticks grow up, they and they molt into different life stages. So from nymphs to larvae and um, from larvae to nymphs and then to adults, um, they will take these blood meals and at various steps along the way, they could accidentally um, have become infected, but then land on your horse somehow um, and transmit these organisms to your horse. Um, ticks are, you know, they're, they're, they do this behavior called questing where they are on the brushy, um, the brushy stuff in your pasture and they're kind of just hanging out, leaning out, waiting for a host to walk by that they can attach onto and take a blood meal from. So um, that's how they might get on your horse um, and infect it. What can horse owners do to prevent these diseases, these two common types that we see? Trying to prevent your horses from becoming exposed to ticks is hard. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have products for use in our horses like we do in our dogs and cats that are um, as effective at preventing ticks from attaching. Um, therefore, um, we have to limit their exposure by grooming them and removing ticks whenever possible, um, by housing them in environments that are less likely to foster large tick populations. So as I mentioned, like really brushy areas um, are, are areas that ticks like to hang out in. And, and so therefore, you know, putting your horses out in a, a mowed pasture or fencing off areas of, of brush um, might help prevent them from getting a lot of ticks attached. Um, there are some um, different types of insecticides that are labeled for horses um, that do say that they prevent um, or reduce um, tick exposure. And so it's really important to like read your various fly spray um, or some of the pour on labels, making sure that it says they're labeled for use in horses and looking for them that might talk about, you know, tick prevention. Um, and then finally, we do actually have um, the opportunity to use a vaccine against Lyme disease in horses. Um, it's very important to understand that these are canine vaccines. They're not FDA approved for use in horses, but many equine veterinarians um, after, you know, learning about studies where horses were vaccinated and there were limited side effects to these canine vaccines in horses, they have started using them in horses um, because we have, we are limited in our other defense options <laughs> against ticks. So um, it's important to have a conversation with your veterinarian about their comfort level, um, but it is um, a kind of widely practiced 
um, recommendation to consider using the canine vaccine. Um, not every horse has a strong response to the canine vaccines. Um, some horses don't respond at all. They don't make antibodies after being vaccinated. Um, so we call those non-responders. Other horses do make antibodies, but those antibodies don't last for very long. Um, so they might only last for a two to three months and then they kind of wane and the horse would require a booster to develop um, antibodies again. Um, so there are some challenges with the, these canine Lyme vaccines in horses. We have become more knowledgeable about what those challenges are and then it's it's up to the owner um, and the veterinarian to kind of mutually educate each other and decide whether that's something they want to implement. Yeah, that's a that's a good thing to to know about. And I, I do know some specific um, areas where there were so many cases of Lyme on some particular farms that they were the veterinarians had chosen to do this. And it really helped some of the horses, you know, to reduce the number of horses that were being uh, struck with Lyme disease. Yeah, absolutely. And certain parts of the country are loaded, as I mentioned, with ticks and owners are looking for anything they can do to reduce their horse's risk of getting Lyme disease. And for anaplasmosis, what about, is there any kind of preventatives you can use for that? Unfortunately, we don't have a vaccine for anaplasmosis, so we have to fall back on just limiting our, our horse's exposures, exposure to ticks. Um, and using um, those insecticides that are labeled for tick prevention. Um, and I, I should also mention that when I mentioned treatment for Lyme disease earlier, it's the same antibiotics, um, that tetracycline class that we also use to treat anaplasmosis in horses. Um, and it's important to carry out that course of treatment appropriately because um, anecdotally, we do believe that if a horse is not treated for long enough, that anaplasmosis can recrudesce or reoccur um, a few weeks after treatment if it's not been adequately treated. So um, a seven to 10 day course of treatment is, is often recommended. Okay, so a lot shorter than with uh, Lyme disease, but still a longer course, you know, than, than some owners would think about. Right, yeah. Okay, is there any, anything else about tick-borne diseases that you think horse owners need to know? Gosh, I think um, we should just briefly mention puriplasmosis. Um, as I said, certain horse populations are more at risk. So if you are um, importing, if you're in the practice of importing horses, you'll probably recognize that they require testing um, to make sure they're clear of puriplasmosis prior to importation. Um, but it's always good to have these things on our, our radar um, and Horses with puriplasmosis develop anemia, so they develop uh, a reduced red blood cell count, um, so they become pale and febrile, um, and it's not that easy to treat. So keeping it out of our country is really critical, um, knowing, you know, when your horse might be in that at-risk population is, is important, um, and uh, that's probably like the need to know information there about about paraplasmosis. And I think there's another podcast maybe all about it. So um, can always turn to that for more information. Now, we actually had uh, had one on um, for veterinarians. And one of the things we talked about that you and I actually talked about before we started recording this podcast is that while if, if you import sport horses, especially 
hornbloods or some of the other types of horses that are used in English sport, uh, you will know that they have to come through an importation process and they will have paperwork. Occasionally, these horses are brought into this country illegally and these horses can have pyroplasmosis for years without really showing much clinical sign, but um, there are more shows uh, requesting testing against pyroplasmosis because it's not something that most horses are tested for um, in this country because they, they should have been tested on importation, but if they got in illegally. The other population that horse owners might want to watch for is quarter horses. People who imported quarter horses uh, are racing on bush tracks and have very unhygienic management where they might blood dope or share needles while they're trying to do different things to these horses to make them run faster. And these are unsanctioned races, so there's no oversight on them by state or federal officials. They would like to find them and close them down, but you know, that's, there's a lot of these going on. In fact, the U.S. government has identified 24 states that have illegal quarter horse bush tracks in them. And so it's not just a, a something in the West or something in Texas that horse owners have to watch for. So uh, pyroplasmosis, you know, if, if you adopt a or buy a quarter horse and don't really know its history, might be something to talk about with your veterinarian is having it tested for pyroplasmosis or even equine infectious anemia because some of these horses have EIA. Now, that's not a tick-borne disease, of course, but it's also seen in some of these horses because of these unhygienic practices. So that's another test you might talk to your veterinarian about. Yeah, that, that's great advice. So is there anything else that uh, Dr. Penn Woodcock that you would like to talk about tick-borne diseases uh, with horse owners? No, I don't think so. I think um, Lyme is, remains a bit of an enigma um, to veterinarians and be patient um, with us as we're trying to work through that diagnosis with you or rule it in or out. Um, and hopefully um, the research that's ongoing in that area will, will help us. Um, and I think that new information is coming out every day um, with regards to improving our, um, maybe not every day, but um, certainly frequently improving our understanding of Lyme disease in the horse. Well, we'll make sure and follow up and see uh, if, if you hear something new and, and talk to you in the future. And thank you so much for joining us on Farm Calls today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. And we want to thank our audience for joining us and also especially thank Farnham for allowing us to bring these podcasts to us. And if you have any suggestions or comments, contact me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown at equinenetwork.com. Equus Farm Calls is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.